This season, we're sponsored by our friends at SongTrust, the world's largest and most accessible music publishing administrator. Sign up now to join over 300,000 songwriters and collect your publishing royalties from more than 215 countries and territories. Use the promo code PUBCAST20 to sign up at 20% off your SongTrust registration. Hello, listeners. Great to have you back for another informative episode of the AIP Nashville Pubcast. On this episode, I sat screen to screen with Chris Aaron, the CEO of the Mechanical Licensing Collective, probably known to you as an MLC. So buckle up as we get down to the nitty gritty of the function of the MLC and how to collect your money. Welcome, Pubcast listeners, to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Today, I'm very excited to be sitting with Chris Aaron, the CEO of the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Now, a little backstory for those that may not be paying attention. This was started because of the passing of the MMA, which now gets us to a place where we have the Mechanical Licensing Collective, which as we were talking a little earlier, is not a PRO, my friends. This is something completely separate and independent of that that is going to help us collect our money that has been unmatched and because of, I guess I would use the word bad data or lack of really looking, but a lot of our DSPs have been sitting on some money and we call that unmatched money because they didn't know where to send it. So the goal with this is, and what I hope Chris's goal is, is to make sure we get these funds matched and we get paid our mechanical money, which is going to be fantastic. And I find personally, Chris, that, you know, I, this has been talked about for a while and uh, I'll let you jump in here in a sec. But as of recently, and we'll touch on this in a minute, there's been $424 million now that we found out it's been unmatched from our streaming services so people are now all of a sudden paying attention that what is the mlc i assume you're getting a lot more phone calls now correct yes that that <laughs> announcement definitely got us on the radar of a few more people yeah so if correct me if i'm wrong but i believe i got all my timelines right like you officially started as of january correct this is where we're at so far in our timeline that's right um the uh, the company itself sort of began to take shape a year ago, January. That's when I joined the MLC, and uh, and in that first year, we we hired more than fifty people and began to put together all the internal teams that would run the operations of the company. We also did a ton of outreach, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, all of that work in 2020 was in preparation for what is known under the, uh, the statute as the uh, license availability date. And that's the first date when digital services can now operate under this new blanket license that was established by the law um, that covers mechanical rights in the US. So as of January 1st, services can be operating under that new blanket license. And um, that meant that we had to be in a position to begin working with them. And we are in the middle of now receiving the first sets of data from those services for January. They account to us on a monthly basis, and that's going to set us up to start paying royalties in April, toward the end of April. That is, uh, you, I, I should have stated you've been working a lot longer than January because uh, <laughs> a lot of work has gone on to get to the place where you guys can start distributing 
money. And one of the things you did is you partnered, I don't know if that's the right word. You are, are working with the Harry Fox agency, correct? Correct. Yeah, they're, uh, they're one of our vendors and they're certainly a key vendor, but we have um, many vendors. Um, as you can imagine, to build and stand up a company in 12 months, um, you know, was not something we could do wholly on our own. Um, HFA's role as a vendor is pretty key um, for your audience, um, in part because one of the, the big things that they brought to the table was their data set. We were required by law to establish and maintain a database of musical works ownership information um, for the US market. And uh, doing that from scratch would have taken years. So we sought, our board sought to find a partner, a vendor who could bring a very large established set of data to the table that we could use as a starting point. And um, they ultimately chose HFA because HFA has a really large set of musical works data, having been in this um, business and operated in this space for many decades. And, uh, and that was viewed as a, as a great way for us to get a head start on building that database. And that's, that's what we did. Now, not to start this off on a little bit of tension, but I do know some people were somewhat critical of using Harry Fox due to the fact that there's been some challenges with Harry Fox in the past as far as the data they have, their customer service, just there's been issues. But you explained if that was better to start there than create this from scratch is kind of what I'm, I'm hearing. And it was kind of makes a lot of sense because you're talking a whole lot of data to, to go through, but how is the MLC addressing some of those issues that the critics may have about that uh, HFA stuff? There are a couple of things I can say to that, Tim. First is uh, no, no existing data set held by any private company is perfect or even close. And and the MLC's data will not be perfect either, because as I'm sure you know, the headlines now suggest that there are, you know, upwards of 50,000 or more tracks being added to these services. I think on a monthly basis, it's some crazy number, and and the sheer volume of new music that gets put up on digital services um, would make it impossible to stay current. There's always going to be a lag in getting new data up. But you know, HFA's data set. Well, good was not perfect, and that would have been true of any other vendor we could have chosen. Um, lots of people will say, well, why didn't you use their data or some other organization's data? And another piece of this that's important to note is we didn't have a legal mandate to take anyone's data we wanted. Um, the vendors had to decide that they wanted to partner with us. So when this process started, the board essentially launched an RFP process, and um, they opened, um, you know, opened things up to any company that was interested in in putting their hat in the ring. And um, from the initial group of about a dozen companies, HFA was ultimately chosen, but not every company that folks think could have been a good source of data even had an interest in being a part of this. So again, to me, um, HFA was a really uh, logical choice. And, and I think the second point that I would make, um, you know, it's a logical choice, but there are no perfect choices. Um, we also needed a company that was willing to work with us and was willing to accept our desire to raise the bar. So, you know, support is a great example because that from the outset was a real important area for me. I've been in the business a long time and, and I think support is not an area that we do very well as an industry, you know, and that's especially true when perhaps you're not 
you know, a number one writer or you don't have a number one track on on the charts. So we set out to build a, a really top-notch support team. And I think we've done a really good job of that. We've got 20 people working in support. We answer the phones 12 hours a day, uh, nine hours a day on Saturday. We have weekend hours. Um, I don't know of another organization in the world that has, um, you know, that that many hours when a live human being is available to answer questions. And we keep the metrics around that. You know, in January, we had 1,800 people contact us in February was more than 2,000. So we are talking one-on-one -on -one to a ton of people and uh, really trying to raise the bar on the support that we can provide. You know, whether you're a self-administered songwriter or you work for the largest publisher in the world, um, if you're doing something that relates to the MLC in some way and you have a question, you can call our support team. A human being will answer the phone or respond to your email or be on the other end of a chat if you're in our member portal and uh, and try to work with you one-on-one -on -one to answer your question. So that could be everything from how do I set up my user account or I forgot my password to uh, I'm having trouble registering to work or I submitted a registration three weeks ago and I haven't yet seen anything change in your database. Where is it in the process? Um, so it's it's pretty comprehensive and it's, it's meant to uh, help every one of our members or any one of our members um, and their employees um, manage whatever aspects of their business relate to the MLC. So if you guys are going to be the mechanical licensing collective and you're working with Harry Fox, do I still use Harry Fox or eventually will it just be you that people are going to come to to get their, their licensing? Another great question. So, you know, one of the things that we have found challenging is in these moments when something changes as significantly as things are now around this part of mechanical licensing, there's a I think a tendency, an understandable tendency for people to think, well, this is solving every problem that exists in the music business. And, and sadly, it doesn't. <clears throat> so, you know, one of the things um, that, that we talk about a lot is how the MLC has a very limited mandate. Legally, we administer this new blanket license that's available to digital audio services for their US operations, but that's it. And so when you think about today, all the different ways that music gets out there, um, an easy starting point um, when you think about things that we can't do, um, video. You know, any service that offers video, um, we cannot administer the rights related to the video uses on that service. And so that could even include a, um, you know, a service like Spotify or YouTube where they have both video products or right, videos available alongside audio products. Our, our license may cover the audio only uses, but it doesn't cover the video. So, um, so video is an area that any rights holder that you know has an interest in a video is going to need to keep solving for separate and apart from the MLC. We can't help. Um, go old school the other direction, right? Lots of people still listen to vinyl. I love that because I'm old enough to remember vinyl when it was the format, U2, and now it's come back and it's bigger this year, I think, than uh, than CDs, which is crazy. Um, but we are not allowed to administer rights related to physical uses either. So when you think about a company like HFA, um, and this is true of Music Reports, which is another competitor in that space, there are a lot of other rights that need to be administered in the market. And the MLC can only administer um, the mechanical rights for audio only uses. So when someone says, well, I still need HFA, the answer is yes, for as long as they're administering other rights. And, um, and in general, we don't want anyone to think that we replace entirely any other company that's providing services in the space because the risk you run is you're leaving money behind.
So over time, I think it'll become clear where those lines are drawn because certainly the blanket license is, is, is a, a set of rights that only we can administer. We have exclusive administrator, but I think people will sort of see where, okay, HFA also does some lyric rights or they do video licenses and MRI does, uh, you know, video licenses and, um, and they'll, they'll, they'll see us as fitting in you know, the lineup of companies that help deliver revenue streams to them. We're not going to replace wholesale any one of those other companies, but we will be a significant addition. Um, and that goes back to your PRO point, right? People ask us all the time, do you replace ASCAP or BMI? And the answer is absolutely not. They still administer a set of rights that are really important to you as a creator or as a publisher. So don't think of the MLC as replacing anybody. Think of the MLC as being a new important addition um, because we will manage this this revenue stream that you can only get through us, um, but then keep all the other people to pay you, and uh, <laughs> and don't 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 disconnect from any of those other people because there's a really good chance they're still going to keep paying you something. So let's talk back to about the quality of what you're getting. So you talked about it's going to be teamwork. So I would assume that this would also mean that. We, as when I say we, we as publishers need to be working hand in hand with you at MLC to make sure our data is correct. What are ways we need to be putting our best foot forward in helping you in that initiative? Yeah, um, that's such a great question. And before I answer it, I just want to underscore the importance of it because this is another way that the MLC and, and the whole passage of the MMA is really transformative of our, of our industry. You know, before the MMA, data was managed by private companies and, um, you know, they might hire a vendor to help them perform a certain task, but, but there was not nearly the level of visibility into the process that we're now beginning to provide and are required to provide. Um, and, and because these were all private companies, right, there was always a, a profit motive. Like if I'm keeping data, I'm doing that because it's a part of my business. So I don't necessarily wanna share all that data if I'm a private company because that's an asset for me. But the MLC is different now because the MLC is required by law to maintain this public database of musical works ownership and anyone in the world can see it. You can go to our website right now, click on the yellow public search button. You can search our database for any song in the world that you are aware of. And if it's been registered with us, you'll see the data we've got. Our entire database is also available for companies and more sophisticated users to download in its entirely on a weekly basis. You can get a weekly subscription and get our entire database for whatever purpose you want. So what, what that means though, is because the data is now public and because we know there's so much data, the, the whole premise of the MLC is dependent on many more people looking at and managing their data. And we assume, and the law assumes that the person most interested in, in their data will be themselves, right? If you, Tim, have a publishing company and you've got 100 writers on your roster, I am reasonably confident that you are more interested in the quality of your data for your songs and your songwriters than anyone else in the world. If you're a self-administered songwriter, same thing is true, right? You are more interested in the accuracy of your data than anybody else. And that even includes the MLC, not because we're not interested, but because we have to manage a process that involves all of the data. Whereas you're only looking at the data that relates to your business, or if you're a self-administered songwriter, your, your songs. So our system is essentially an open source system. We want every rights holder who has an interest in any work that's available on these digital services in the US to look at their data in our database, to check it for accuracy, 
to submit corrections where there need to be correct uh, things corrected, and then to make sure that as they create new works, they put those in the database. If each rights holder does that, our data will be far more accurate than it ever could be if any one organization was managing it. And I don't care which organization it is. You pick any company out there that you think does a great job with data, we can manage data more effectively collectively if we all play our part than any private organization could have done on their own. And that's, again, the play your part message that we started talking about last summer. Uh, for this to be effective, everyone needs to be a part of it and to look at their data. So, and then the question comes, how do you do that? Well, the first thing is go to the public search, look at your data. If you've written a song in your life and it's available on those digital audio services in the US, go look and see if your song is registered with us and, and see if it's accurately registered. Any, any songwriter can do that, any person can do that. Then if you become a member of the MLC, take advantage of our data quality initiative. We created a really simple way for folks to submit some data to us as long as they have one of two identifiers for their songs. One is the ISWC, which is the unique identifier for songs um, uh, that many uh, published songs um, have. Uh, or if you have the song code that HFA used to use, which we're now kind of carrying over into our system and issuing new ones, we call it an MLC song code. If you have one of those two identifiers and then you have some other data about your works, you can send them to us in an Excel file. We have a template that you can get from us. And then we will compare that to the data in our database for those songs and send you back a report, a report that only highlights where there are discrepancies between your data and ours. So think about that as like a digital version of finding needles in a haystack, right? Because data can be voluminous. And if you were thinking, okay, what do I want to know? You want to know where your data is different from ours. So this tool, this DQI process allows you to quickly hone in where there are differences. And then you can look at those and figure out, okay, does that difference matter or not? You know, we have situations every so often where, you know, there might be a band and there are three people that wrote songs, but they've registered all the songs under the name of an entity. And maybe they don't have all the writers listed properly. Well, that won't be ideal for us and that it may not help us match the song. But if we've matched the song already, the fact that a writer name is missing doesn't mean we can't pay you, right? Because we're paying this entity that you set up as a band. So you might look at that and say, hey, look, I want to make sure all our songs are registered first and foremost. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to make sure all the writers are correct. Because in the first instance, you just want to make sure that we know who to pay. And then you go back and supplement the data. That's the kind of thing the DQI will reveal clearly. You can then decide which changes you make first and um, prioritize whatever makes sense for you. So DQI is a really important step after you look at the data in the database, whether you do that through the public search or through the member portal. And um, those two things, right? The better the data, the more likely we are to pay accurately. That's, that's as simple as it is. You're able to offer all these services and do this database, uh, as you're saying, is not it's not a profit because you are supported by the DSPs and they fund this initiative. Correct? That's correct. Uh, and that, you know, maybe it's important to say this first and foremost. All these things that we're talking about, all these features that make the MLC unique, they're here because creators, publishers, um, and others advocated successfully. Um, to get a law that delivered these benefits. So, you know, I'm telling you what, what it is, but not because I was responsible for that. You 
rights holders are responsible for that because you lobbied effectively for a law that delivered all of this. My job is to implement the law and, and to bring into reality all of the things that you know you all fought so hard to achieve um, for your benefit. And yeah, the, the, the services pay 100% of the MLC's operating costs, which again is unique in the world. We're, we're not aware of another uh, organization like ours. Um, you know, these are called collective management organizations because they manage a, you know, a large set of rights for others. We're not aware of another organization that is wholly funded by digital services and not by essentially the, the, the royalty recipients through some sort of admin fee. So um, we are free to any member. We don't deduct any uh, costs from the royalties that we process. We're not allowed to do that by law. And the DSPs have to pay for our operating costs entirely. So that's a great benefit. If you're a publisher or a writer, um, whatever you get, um, it is not less um, because of anything we took out of it. We take nothing out of those monies. And again, I, I slow clap and applaud that move. And yes, it was a lot of work to get to here. So it's good to see this finally finally rolling out. Let's get to some of the good stuff. So you, you got this pile of money. You got $424 million. Uh, let's touch on just the basics. How, how can you explain the process of distributing this big sum of money now that has made everybody really start paying attention? Yeah, so one of the things about the law is, um, you know, the, the, the sequence of events under the law um, doesn't always lend itself to the operations now um, as we implement the law. So uh, the law required digital services that wanted to take advantage of a, a limit on liability that was in the law as an incentive for them to hand over these historic unmatched monies. It required them to pass those monies to the MLC by February 15th. And February 15th also happened to be the first day that we began to receive usage reports from DSPs who were operating under the blanket license for January. And so we've got this sort of incredible confluence of money and data arriving both for historical periods and these go back, you know, 10 years or more. Um, you can go to our website and see the breakdown by every, you know, for every DSP by month. Um, so, and it goes back, you know, to the to beginning of when the service operated, um, or at least it should. Uh, we got all that money and all that data coming in at the same time we're getting new money and new data. Um, under the regs that were passed by the Copyright Office, the digital services have until June 15th to submit some additional data we need on the historic money. So basically we got, the first money we got was on the historic, but the last data we get is also going to be related to the historic. And between now and June, we're going to account on the January blanket activity, the February blanket activity, and the March blanket activity. So even though that money got all the attention, we're actually kind of putting that to the side. We're going to finish building out the process for paying people on the blanket royalties. We're going to start paying blanket royalties in April. Um, and then after we send the first set of checks out, we'll set up the claiming portal, the area where people can see the unmatched activity from January, because there will no doubt be some activity even for January that we were not able to match successfully because we still have that, that ongoing data challenge. And then hopefully, you know, sometime later in this year, we'll be able to put all that historic data into that process alongside the new unmatched monies so that rights holders can see all of it and review all of it and that's another aspect of the law, right? Giving visibility both to members 
um, so that they can review and claim unmatched money that may be theirs. And then giving broader visibility to the public to that unmatched activity is yet another way that we bring many more eyes on the process, um, all of whom can contribute toward making the process more effective, right? Just like I said before, the reason that um, it's important for you to have access to your data as a publisher or a songwriter is because you're gonna care more about the accuracy of your data than anybody else. So same is true of unmatched activity. If you have the ability to go into our portal or go on our website and look and see what's unmatched and look for your songs, you stand a much greater chance of finding things that relate to your works than anyone else could. And if every rights holder is doing that, looking at that unmatched activity and saying, where, you know, is this mine? Is this, is this something that relates to my works? We stand a much better chance of matching much more of that activity than historically the other companies that were doing it were able to do. And that will ensure that more people get paid properly. That's the goal. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to keep up with news, events, panels, and even new episodes. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Dale Bobo and Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Pubcast.